We had a number of people come here at nine this morning, and one of them was my good friend Ted Schuster. And he was here with his family, and I came in, and and he said, you know, I came early. That was my first mistake. Now I got to wait an hour to hear you. I might as well go home. We're good friends, by the way. I know Ted and his family for about six years, and um, it's good to have that kind of friendship in the body of Christ where we can harass each other, the joy of fellowship and that. But anyway, next three weeks, we're going to look at rhythms, uh, God's word, then God's people, and then God's mission. And the reason we're doing it is we are forgetful people. We can, we can forget how God speaks to us, that he even speaks to us. What is the church? And then what is our mission? We need constant reminders of what we are to be doing, and we are to be in the word, on mission, understanding the church. And so we're going to start with three weeks, three different voices this in January before we begin Revelation towards the end of January. So today, God's word. How does God speak to us? And who is this God who speaks? I think we need to really think through that carefully. And then what authority does he speak? And then what is he actually saying to us? And I think we need to continually, especially at the beginning of a new year, to think through the noise of our culture that is is everywhere present. The omniscience of our culture, everywhere we turn, we turn on our screens, we drive it in our cars, we see the noise and we hear the noise of our culture. And how does God speak into that? And what reminders do we need? The world of the 10th century BC was very polytheistic. Many gods were constructed. Many of those gods represented the natural world. The sun, the moon, the stars, and fire, and you name it. It was worshipped. Into this world, Psalm 19 was penned by, by King David. He wanted us to be reminded again and again and again and again the voice of God to us in the midst of the world that we live Now, it is 2023, and we don't have the same kind of shapes to our idols they had in that century, but they're still there. We hear terms like Mother Earth, you know, and and, and Mother Nature, and the philosophies of this day, the challenges that we face, the idols that we construct are of our own choosing. Make no mistake, our culture is still worshiping other gods. So Psalm 19, the God who speaks, and there's three sections in this psalm, and they all seem kind of separate. But I want us to see how they're linked together, all under this theme that God is speaking to us. So turn in your Bibles to Psalm 19, verses 1 through 6. We begin with the one of the two personal names of God given in, in Scripture, Elohim. This God, Elohim, reflects the fullness of his divine power to us. 
In now, we see in verse 6 verses, the created world. It is a revelation of who he is through his universe that he had made by the words of his mouth and by his hands. And David is moved, greatly moved by observing the heavens. Was he on the roof of his palace? We don't know. Was he walking out in the desert around Jerusalem on one of the ridges? But he was so overwhelmed by what he was seeing in his world that he penned this psalm that C.S. Lewis once wrote as one of the most beautiful lyric poems in all of literature. What does he see? Look at verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the skies proclaim the work of his hands. The heavens declare. The skies proclaim. Those are words that we would use for spoken language. But this is a a different kind of language. It's the heavens, the skies making God known and, and speaking to us about him and who he is and all the expanse of the universe in its vastness. In the tense in the Hebrew, it is like this. Keep on declaring. Keep on proclaiming. They just don't quit speaking to us of the God who is there, the God who created our world. Look at verse 2. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Day after day, night after night, we see the constancy of God's creation, the day-night cycle, the session, the the seasons in regular rhythm, our, our agricultural calendar, all from God's design. It continues day after day, night after night, speaking forth about the Creator. In fact, Solomon writes in Proverbs 8, God in his wisdom is rejoicing. He uses that word rejoicing in his whole world that he has made. This natural revelation of God, we need to understand, is without words and it is universal, being unrestricted by the division in our world of languages. That means no matter what human language you speak, you ought to be able to see and hear the language of our creator God who made this place that we call home. That's what David is saying. This is a language that God is speaking for all the world to say, I am here. I created this world. Those inclined to hear are moved from the heavens to the earth, which led John Calvin to write, when a person from beholding and contemplating the heavens has been brought to acknowledge God, He's looked up and he's seen the universe. He will learn also to reflect upon and to admire his wisdom and power as displayed on the face of the earth. Not only in general, but even the smallest of creatures, the smallest of plants. I was taking some pictures in my 
my forestry app yesterday on trees I wanted to identify with no leaves. And all these names kept popping up, and all of a sudden it was poison ivy. Okay, I'm not going to touch this tree. Some vines going up. Every little detail our creator has made. And David was stunned by it. In high school, my, my dad had a mission church in southern Idaho. And in high school, my brother and I were there in the summertime before we came back here to school at Kono. And we went out one night about 7,500 feet to camp out. This is great. Dad took us. He took time off work. Wasn't a, wasn't a park. It was a, kind of a hunting area on public land, so there's no facilities. Just went up there and found an open space where there had fires before from hunters up there. And we just laid out our sleeping bags and watched the universe and tried to stay warm. Astronomers tell us that we can probably see 6,000 stars on a, clearless, on a clear night. I have never since then seen a sky like that. We were in awe of the expanse of the universe. The incredible, stunning, awesome things that God has made And we're also told that there is a hundred billion more of those just in our galaxy. Think about that. hundred billion stars in the Milky Way. That's the speech that David is talking about. What does that tell you about God? Then verse 4c, we move to the daytime. Look at he says. In the heavens, then, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens, and it makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The glory of the universe, the glory of the stars, and the glory of the day because of the sun. No wonder ancients who turned their back on God saw that as a, as a, as a God. It ruled the day. We survive on the sun. It moves across the skies in David's graphic words like a tent and like the joy of a bridegroom coming from the wedding bed, the bridal chamber after consummating his marriage is coming rushing out in joy. Like a champion, a warrior, a valiant man rejoicing in his strength as he sets out to run his course. Grand images in our language. The speech of the sun is one of dominance. And without it, life as we know it would not exist. Nothing is hidden from its light and its heat. Paul Campbell, you know our brother who's back at the slide booth right now, is an amateur astrophotographer, and which means he takes deep space pictures, and you should see some of them. I wish we could go a whole slideshow today. Some of this information he put together for me to relate. The sun is what they call in the Goldilocks zone. 
In other words, God places it right in the right position. Any closer, it'd be water and gas. Any further, it'd be, it'd freeze. It'd be too hot, we'd burn up or we'd freeze. It's right in that correct spot as we know it. It is the absolute center of what we are as human beings on this earth. And to get a glimpse now of the expanse of the nighttime universe, look what you see on the screen now. From day to night, the expanse of our universe, the Andromeda galaxy, get this, is about 2.5 million light years away from us. Another galaxy that we can see on a clear night from the heat and the centrality of the sun every day to the expanse of our universe that we can, we're just beginning to see more of now with the new telescopes. It leads us to be almost speechless of this God who has created us for this time. What does it say? I want you to listen to Romans 1 as you look at this graphic. Listen to Paul in Romans 1. The wrath of God is being revealed from heavens, from heaven against all the godliness and wickedness of people. What are they doing? Who suppress the truth by their wickedness. What are they doing? Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. How? For since creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. Being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. The heavens declare the glory an all-awesome, powerful God. And we are without excuse because the language of eternity is written in the skies. You've heard of this guy. He kind of knew his way around, Albert Einstein. So my religion consists of humble admiration of the illimitable power, superior spirit who reveals himself in the slight details we are able to perceive with our frail and feeble mind. That deep emotional conviction of the presence of a superior reasoning power which was revealed in the incomprehensible universe forms my idea of God. A Russian Nobel Prize winner said this about the earth, a statistical probability that organic structures and the most precisely harmonized reactions that typify living organisms could be generated by accident is absolutely zero. God is speaking to us. And then from this Elohim, this fullness of divine power comes Now, the spoken word in the language of humanity. Elohim, now the next few verses, is called Lord. He's called Yahweh, the fullness of divine existence from this powerful creation in his universe to this powerful world, word that he wants to be in us. Not just an all-powerful God, but a personal, intimate God 
with his image bearers. He has a, now a written word for us. Not only does he speak in nature, he speaks in creation. He speaks to us in the language of our lives that we could know him. And this God of creation then brings all that power, all that eternity, all that understanding of who he is in the expanse of the universe, and he cares about me. He wants me to know in a specific revelation of what he asks of us. And so in the next five verses, we see the blessing of God's word to us. Verse seven, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. A lot of synonyms here for the word of God. The laws, the broad instructions from God, they are absolutely perfect and they refresh our souls. In other words, the law law of the Lord is flawless. There's no revisions necessary. Culture does not dictate changes. New interpretations are not needed. The law of the Lord is perfect. The statutes literally to witness or to testify of the Lord are trustworthy and they make wise the simple. His word can be trusted to make us not necessarily smart, but wise. Not the counsel of the ungodly, Psalm 1, but the counsel and the meditation of the word of God. The word for wise here is important. In the original language, hakma, it means knowing what to do at the right time. In other words, not living with regrets all the time, but because I see what God requires of me and has given me to to listen and to live by, that I can have practical wisdom. I can look ahead down the road and say, God's word says this. Proverbs 5 says to husbands, don't leave your house and go after anyone else. Rejoice in the wife of you. That Solomon had a thousand women at his command. And he said, men, don't do that. Know the wisdom that God gives you and stay the course in your relationship. Avoid bringing fire into your bosom and burning your life up. That's wisdom. That's perfect. That's flawless. That we can be made wise in our our simple lives. Verse eight, the precepts, literally synonymous with covenant, God's relation of the Lord, they're right and they give joy to the heart. Joy from the heart is a joy not affected by surrounding circumstances. It's a fountain that finds its origin in the words of God for us. They, again, are just simply right. The commands, literally anything ordained by the Lord, anything he speaks are radiant and they give light to the eyes. That is, they enlighten and they give direction to our lives. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and what? A light unto my path. And so we see the joy and guidance to one's life fill our souls when we meditate and we follow God's commands for us. 
And here's what we need to hear, January 1, 2023. We need to land in this book. You need to get that app. You need to get your Bible open. You need to have a constancy to your life. Stay in the word. It should be our rhythm, day in, day out. And in that, the joy and the guidance is reflected in our lives. My mom's Bible, I have a copy of her, like, fifth Bible that she wore, wore out. I have these images of when I was young getting up early, and I may have shared this before because it's still so impressive and is motivating me to read the word every day. In the quietness of the early morning, she had her bathrobe on and her bifocals on, and, her, and she would be opening the word, and she'd be reading, and she'd be underlining, and she had a prayer list, and I was on that prayer list, and all the family was on that prayer list. She was feeding herself with the word of God every single morning. And then she reflected that in a, in a calmness and a joy that could stand outside on our deck in the middle of a blizzard and say, thank you, Lord, I love the snow. And I'm saying, i got to shovel this. <laughs> the joy and the radiance of people who just say, this stuff, I believe it, and I want to be guided by it. Now, my dad had a worn-out Bible that I received as well, and a whole box of worn-out Louis L'Amour. He had his worn Bible and Louis L'Amour. He loved the West, but he stayed in the word. Verse 9, the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. Fear now is slipped in as a synonym is the word. You get that? He's continuing the same train of thought, synonym with the law here. In other words, a reverence and an awe of God through his word. The Lord will do what he says he will do. You disobey his commands, there are results that will happen because of our disobedience. This Lord and his law is pure and enduring forever. The decrees, anything where God established his divine will in nature and in his covenant of the Lord are firm and all of them are righteous altogether. In the vernacular of our day and understanding, God's word is always in. The eternal word of God is unchanging. Psalm 119, 151, and 60, all your commandments are true. The sum of your word is truth. The very sum of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Therefore, the word reflects the loyalty and the steadfastness of our God. His words are righteous. That means right in every sense that you can think of right. I think we need to understand that truth as revealed by God in his word is never merely right and true for some, but is inevitably right and true for all and for all time. God speaks to us across the centuries. Why? Because he's the one who made the eternal universe. Therefore, his word is eternal. And it is always good for us. And it always right and true and just. Thus, when God speaks about human sexuality 
and this creation of us as male and female, that's truth for, for all and for all time. When he speaks in, one, in, in Psalm 139 about the embryonic state informing life in a woman's womb, that's truth for all time, and every life is precious. How dare we think otherwise and act otherwise? That's truth for all time. But in the world, they would call us stubborn and out of, out of touch and homophobic and not living in reality. This is the reality of eternity. We need to begin with those rhythms again. Verses 10 and 11, they are more precious than gold. And David is kind of given his reflection now in the word of God and his personal reaction. He said, it's, they're, they're much more than much fine gold. They are sweeter than honey. And honey from the honeycomb. How many have had honey from the honeycomb? I mean, that, that, that is the best. I have not fought a bear to go into a, a tree trunk to get any. You can buy that stuff in the honeycomb. Some of the greatest sweetness on earth. It was the staple of David's time for sweetness. And he said, I can't even, I, I look at the word of God and I see, I see gold that I have in abundance in the, in the treasury, the temple, in my palace. I have gold everywhere. And I enjoy the sweetness of honey from the honeycomb. It is a staple of my life and my menu every day. And he says, I still, I need the word of God more than that. And until we get to that place, obedience will not come to our lives. So what place does this book have in your life right now? Right this day. We have it everywhere. We have it on our screens. Some of you are looking at it right now. We have multiple copies in our homes. But is it like honey to our taste? Is it more valuable than all the money that we could have? I've shared with some of you the impact that Billy Graham had in my life early on when he was so caught up in the word and his reflection. Remember behind the scenes, he was who he was. There was no pretense to that man. Why? Because this book was prominent and his obedience was prominent everywhere he went. He spent most of his life in motel rooms and he'd walk into every room and every city and he'd open up his book and he'd lay it out on the dresser And every time he left, he would read a chapter or pause and stand there and read. When he came back in late night after a crusade, he would pause and he would read the word. He wanted a visible reminder next to that TV and all the temptations around that this was the book of God. And I am going to live my life by this. What do you and I need to do to make that a priority? in our homes, in our offices, on our phones. God speaks to us in the world, in creation. And God speaks to us in his word. In verses 12 through 14, it leads us to see God speaking to our hearts. 
but who can discern their own errors? This grand Elohim, this grand Yahweh speaks into every individual heart. Put your mind around that. So David says, forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation where I've, I've taken some time and discovering your glory and your word be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Is this in our heart? The key word in this text is servant. David in his grand position as a king of Israel in his royal robes and his, in his home and his wealth and everything he could do and ask for. He says, I am but a servant who follows my master, this grand creator, the one who's made this universe that I cannot even grasp and spoken to me in his word, and now it penetrates into my very soul. Our contemplation of God, his world, and his word should lead to a personal cleansing. Always. He is the God of the universe who speaks to us individually and every heart. He discerns our sins of omission and our sins of commission, the ones that we haven't even thought about committing, that that latent understanding of our, our flesh, that David wants the word of God, he wants this Yahweh, this Elohim to penetrate with his word right to the very essence of what he doesn't even think he's going to do yet. Because God alone can do that. And he says, I want to be clean. I want to be blameless. Is that our hearts? As we see the world and we see the, the word and we see the dominance of God in us. God speaks to us in creation. He speaks to us in his word. God speaks to us in his heart. And then Hebrews chapter one, he speaks to us in these last days. Notice these words. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, 10th century BC, David, Nathan, others, and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance, there's an obvious connection to creation and the son of our solar system This sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things, all the world, all the universe, all creation, all humanity by his powerful word. 
And after he had provided purification for sins as Jesus, our Messiah, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven saying basically, as you know, scripture, it is finished. Elohim, Yahweh, Jesus, his word right here. The beauty, the expanse of creation and that God who loves us so much to give himself to us. The challenge that we face is this. We can see but not observe. We can read. We can read this book and not learn. We can hear the voice of God and not be listening because there has to be a follow-up. There has to be a, a trust. There has to be a belief that this God in this word is sweeter than anything else we could put to our, our tongue, more valuable than anything we have on our bank account. What is it? Look at Hebrews 11. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By faith we understand. The universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of the what was visible And without this kind of faith, it is impossible to please Jehovah God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Earnestly seek him. Earnestly go out and look at the stars. That's an assignment. Go out in the woods and walk. Go out in a cornfield and the snow blowing in your face. This is God's world. We don't take time to be in awe of what God has done. Look at this planet. Look at where we live. This there is the only place there is life as we know it is only here. Carl Sagan believed otherwise before the telescopes could find and look almost infinitely. And he couldn't wait to see the pictures. And they came back, as Paul has seen in some of his stuff he's done. You can't, you can't, there's no other place like Earth that we can see. And we can see now trillions of light years out into the universe. No other place like this place. What does that do to your faith? Those of you this morning who may be shaky about that, look at the God who made you and made this place for our good and his glory. We breathe because he he gave us life. We live in a place we call home, the place that he sent his only son to die for our sins. He made the son to rule the day. He gave his son to rule our hearts. How can you not be awed by that. How can we just go about life and forget that God has made us in this place for this time for his glory? And he wants us to see his son in us and his word. God is, we can't say enough, 
I'm looking at my notes, seeing anything I can say about the language of God, and it's just amazing what he has done in our lives. I want us to begin this year with that kind of awe of God and what he is doing. Never look at the stars again without thinking of God's goodness and his grace to us. Don't open the Bible flippantly as you would a magazine or the paper. This is God's voice to me. To me. And when you can see it that way, and you see the awe of God, then this book will be sweeter than honey from the honeycomb. May we be that kind of people as this year begins. Father, we thank you for the goodness and the grace you bestow on us every day. Spring, summer, fall, winter, sunshiny days, cloudy days, the universe that you have placed us in is by your eternal design. Your son is given to us by eternal design. And so every morning we, re- we remember, we don't forget you. Son of God, God in the flesh, given his body and his blood for us. So Lord, as we communicate to each other and to you as the body of Christ, that we remember sins forgiven. We partake of the bread and the cup because of what Jesus did for us lest we forget. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your awesome power. We thank you for your perfect word given to us. And having that all wrapped around your very son. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for forgiving us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.